I did it again. First time it was Adele. This time it was Charity Gale. Music is one of the things that gets my blood pumping. I, I love listening to good music. And so when I get on an airplane, uh, one of the first things I do is, is put in my earphones and, and I turn up the music. And, and so I did that last Sunday morning as I was flying to Pensacola. I, I did that even before we left the ground in, in Tampa. But I noticed that the flight attendant was saying something to me. I mean, I'm listening to Charity Gale. We sing a lot of that music in worship. It's Charity Gale who's saying, I, I speak the name of Jesus, or thank you, Jesus, for the blood, or there's a new name written down in heaven, and it's mine. I mean, I love that music. It gets me excited, and so I have to be careful because I usually sing along with it. But I noticed the flight attendant was saying something to me, and so finally I realized I needed to listen, and so I turned down the music, and, and I said, yes. And he said, you listening to music? I said, well, I was. Just kind of nod at him and turn the music back up and put my earphones back on him. But I notice he's still talking. And after kind of looking at him for just a second, I, I, I turn it down again. I take the earphones out and I'm like, yeah. And he says something, but I don't understand it. So I, I do just turn to the guy that I had gotten to know that's seated right next to me. And I said, I can't understand. What is he saying? And the guy just looked at me and he said, your music is coming through the phone, not your headphones. It's a lot less embarrassing than it was with Adele. But um, sometimes music just gets us going, right? Some, there's songs, certain songs that, like, when you start singing them, everybody knows. Like, na, 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 hey, hey, hey. See, a lot of you know that old gospel song, but it's, it's not time to go. Maybe you know the song from uh, Queen, that British group that's kind of a power ballad. We are the champions. You know that song? We'll keep on fighting to the end. We're the champions. We're the champions. No time for losers because we are the champions of the world. I want you to think about the passage of Scripture that we're going to look at today as a power ballad like that. Words that should stick with you and get the blood pumping and make you excited about who you are and what you know in Jesus Christ. That's what the last verses of Romans 8 are all about. It's the theological truth that arises out of the knowledge we've learned thus far. Before we can jump into that, let me just give you the main point. It's a very simple message, so here you go. In Jesus, you are more than a conqueror, and no one nor anything can take that away. Let me say it again. In Jesus, you are more than a conqueror, and no one nor anything can take that away. Now, we're going to jump into that, but first, let me remind you where we've come from. This book of Romans, it's pretty incredible. We're looking in the best book of all time, the Bible, in what many would say is the best book in the Bible, Romans, at what many would say, what is the best chapter in Romans, Romans chapter 8, and we're looking at some of the very best verses. 
What do these words mean to us? What is God trying to say? Let's look beginning in Romans 8, verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? Time out. What things? Romans is a book of soteriology. It's taught us what it means to be saved. We've learned that we were all sinners, everyone who's ever been born. We've learned that the wages of our sin was death. But we've learned that Jesus, he he took our death. God demonstrated his love and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And now in Romans 8, we've learned as it began, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that good news? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then we learn that when we're in Christ Jesus, that means we've been adopted into the family of God. And then we've learned that since we're adopted into the family of God, we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That means what's his is ours. What's up there, we can have down here. That's pretty good news, right? Is anybody with me? And then on top of that, we've learned that even when we don't know what to do, the Holy Spirit of God is interceding on our behalf, taking us to the Father. What then shall we say in response to these things? Well, here's what we say. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those who God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, he's at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered to be sheep, to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's good news. Let's pray together. Father, again in the name of Jesus, we come to you asking simply, give us what we need that we don't have. Teach us those things we need to learn that we don't know. Make us the people we've not yet become. And Lord, let the words I say and even my thought be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Have you started your Christmas shopping? I mean, this is a big week, right? We start celebrating Christmas now right after July 4th, it seems like. And so I'm used to, you you had this big shopping weekend coming up, but now Black Friday, I think, starts back in September uh, because for weeks I've been getting emails about the Black Friday sales. But anyway, it's a big shopping weekend, so I hope you've got your list going. I mean, what you need to buy and maybe what you're hoping to get. Everybody has a dream list. It's on your dream list. I've got some things. Um, I like watches. 
And, and so um, most of my watches, none of them are that fancy. Um, but I, I like watches. And like so when I go to foreign countries, I buy fake nice watches. So I've like from Turkey, I've got a Crolex. And um, from Iraq, I've got a Stolex. Um, and somewhere I bought a Folex. But anyway, uh, so on my dream list, boy, wouldn't it be nice to have one of the real ones? I don't know if I could wear it, but I, I'd like it. I'd like to have an actual Rolex or maybe uh, like James Bond and have an Omega. That'd be nice. Probably won't ever happen. Um, I, a Mont Blanc pen. That's on my dream list. I mean, that's fancy too, right? Because here's why. I saw you roll your eyes, Miss Glenna, but here's why. Um, I grew up left-handed and so every time I write, the ink smears. Everybody, just fill, fill my paint a little bit. Everybody just go, aw. So, I mean, it'd be nice to have a fancy pen where the ink wouldn't smear, right? Yeah, that's my dream. Oh, what's on your dream list? Here's why I'm telling you this. The things I'm about to tell you, these are things that everybody should want. And they're things everybody needs. And there are things, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you get. This is not some dream that's a pipe dream that may never happen. This is who you are if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. That's why I say this should be one of the most encouraging messages you ever hear. These are the dream gifts. Now, remember our main thing. I've said it. I'm going to say it again and again. In Jesus, you're more than a conqueror. Say more than a conqueror. And no one, say no one nor anything can take that away. So let's look a little more closely at these verses. Paul, as he's closing this out, he asks a series of questions. I'm going to group them into three categories. Let me give you the first one. It's in verse 31. What then shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So now in his writing, he gives us the question and he's going to tell us the answer. So the question is, who can be against us? And the answer is nobody. Nobody. If God is for you, that's all that, all that matters. Isn't that amazing? God's word says that he is for us. Some of us are old enough to remember a musical by Don Moen. It was called God for us. He also wrote one called God with us. And all these songs gave us a worshipful time as believers in the body of Christ just to remember that God cares about us, that he is for us. But, but we sing about that in a lot of songs. Maybe you enjoy singing the song we call the blessing that comes straight out of scripture. These are the words, the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. May his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and, and their children in the morning, in the evening, in your coming and your going, in your weeping and rejoicing. He is for you. He is for you. What a powerful song. Now, what is he saying? He's not saying you're never going to have any opposition. Because there are going to be some people who are against you. You might have family members that are against you. You might have a boss that you feel like they're against you. And there may be people you work with or classmates that are against you. Shoot, I've even had church members that felt like were against me. He's not saying 
that you won't have things or people that come against you. But he's saying, if God is for you, that doesn't matter. God is for you. Nothing can overcome you. He's addressing a feeling that we all have. Maybe you've come in today with this feeling. Here it is. I can't do this. You just feel like you're at the end of the rope. Sometimes we just shorten that short phrase and say it this way. I'm done. And Maybe that's where you are. I believe God sent me here today to tell you that if you're a, a Christ follower, you need not feel done for he is for you. So when you say, I can't do this, you remember that thanks to Jesus, yes, you can. In fact, the Bible says there's nothing you can't do through Christ who gives you strength. We're eat up in our society with fear. I, I think some of the cultural things we went through impacted that. And then the worldwide pandemic, it just gave us all the fear bug. There are people still afraid to, to come to church because of fears that they have. Let me just tell you, the fact that God is for you, the, the fact that God loves you the way he loves you, that should deal with the fears in your life. For example, don't fear intimidation because God is for you. Nothing in this world, the circumstances, the events, the people around you, nothing should cause you to feel intimidated for God is for you. Just think about what that means. The creator is for you. The savior is for you. The sustainer is for you. Yahweh is for you. Elohim is for you. El Shaddai is for you. Adonai is for you. Jehovah Rapha is for you. Jehovah Nisi is for you. Jehovah Jireh is for you. Jesus is for you. Church, God is for you. That means in an age of cancel culture, you don't have to fear being canceled because he's for you. So we have to begin to live like that. Now, how do we know he's for us? He tells us in that verse. Remember I told you he asked the question and he answers it. Look at verse 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things. He's saying, if, if God did not spare Jesus, if God allowed his son Jesus to die for us, why would he hold anything back? Do you understand what he's saying? He's saying, if God gave us his best already, why would we think he's not going to take care of us? Jesus, in the most famous sermon ever preached in the Sermon on the Mount, he, he kind of presents it this way. He, it's, it's like outside, because he would have been outside. He looks around, and maybe he points, and he says, consider the birds. Do, do you think they're wondering where their next meal is going to come from, or they're just okay with it? And, and then he points over here, and he says, see the lilies of the field? Do you think they woke up this morning thinking, what color should we be today? And he says, so, so then why do you worry about today or tomorrow? Just seek me first. Seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. And everything else will be added unto you. He, he's telling you in this age of fear, not only do you not have to fear intimidation, he's saying don't fear limitation. You have no limits when God is with you. Let me see if I can illustrate that. It's been a challenging week for our family. 
um, but in the midst of that, God's just done some really neat things. It's been uh, about seven years that God uh, led us to bring our precious daughter into our home and adopt her uh, into our family. And that was a big change. You just need to know, uh, just let me put it in perspective. Tomorrow she turns 10. Our baby boy is 19. <laughs> our oldest is 27. And we've got two in between that. I mean, this rocked our world. It's a big change for the Purvis Pact. But we made that decision. We made that commitment way back then. Everything else since then is just a consequence of that decision that's already made. So I told you tomorrow's her birthday. Well, guess what? Am I going to, on her birthday, look back at all of these years and say, well, you don't know what we've already done, how we've already sacrificed, what we've, our price we've already paid. You know, we're just, just look at your daddy and say, thank you, daddy. Is that what I'm going to do? Not a chance. You know what daddy's going to do? I'm going to spoil that little girl. As she said this morning, Dad, this is my last day in single digits. She's about to be 10. I'm going to give her the best. Now, Paul is saying, why? If God has already committed everything to us, why would, why would we think he's holding back on giving us his best on a daily basis? Remember, in Jesus, you're more than a conqueror. And no one, nor anything, can take that away. But there's a second question I want you to see. Actually, a couple. Look at verse 33. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So remember their questions. What's the question? Who's going to bring a charge against me? You know what the answer is? Nobody. What fear does this deal with? Accusation. And a lot of us struggle with this. You, you, think, you, you think that God is somebody he's not. Remember I told you the story about my friend Linda, and Linda came from a Catholic background where she was very religious, but she told me a few weeks ago, she said, Paul, I had it all wrong. I, 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 I thought that God was just waiting to punish me when I stepped out of line. And so my relationship with God was just trying to make right choices so that I didn't get in trouble. And that, that's living in constant fear of being accused. And, and some of you, that's the way you walk into church. And I get it, it's because we make some choices that are not honoring to Jesus or we've done some things even this week that we know are sinful and so we kind of walk in and, and we feel guilty and we wonder if everybody's looking at us funny and, and we assume that God is looking at us differently. But remember what God's word just said. Who's going to bring the charge against you? Nobody. You don't have to fear accusation because he is for you. He is for you. Now, Paul goes a step further. He doesn't just tell us nobody's going to bring the charge. He tells us why nobody's going to bring the charge. He says, remember, you've been justified. That's something we learned earlier in Romans. Remember, we were lost, but now we're saved. When we're saved, 
we are justified. When we're justified, God takes us as sinners and he makes it, and we, we learn from that word, he makes it just as if we've never sinned. So not only when God looked at you this morning, when you walked in to worship him, he's not looking at you, pointing that finger of guilt. He looks at you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you know what he sees, he sees you clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. I mean, just think about that. When God looks at you, he sees his son. Not only does God not accuse you, it tells you that Jesus is going to the Father and he's interceding on your behalf. So when you have that bad day as a follower of Christ and you've blown it and you've sinned against him, Jesus is going to the Father, oh Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy for Paul. He needed it today. But don't get me wrong, there's an accuser. He's a slanderer. He's a liar. He's roaming to and fro. He's after you and your mama. But that's not God. God's the opposite. He's your advocate. So when you feel those feelings of guilt, you remember God's for you. And when the accuser, when he reminds you of your past, as he'll often do, you remind him of his future. You tell the devil to go to hell because that's where he's going to spend forever. I've read the back of the book. This turns out okay. We win. Hold on a second. I'm not going to jump down, but I'm going to say that again, and I'm going to respond. I've read the back of the book, and we win. Praise the Lord. That's good stuff. That's the truth. Remember, in Jesus, you're more than a conqueror. Say more than a conqueror. And no one nor anything can take that away. Now, there's one last question. I want you to get this. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake we'll face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. So the question, who shall separate us? What's the answer? Nobody. Nobody. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Now, again, don't miss this. It doesn't say those things don't happen. Let me go back through the list because some of them have happened to you even this week. Have you had trouble? Some of you faced some hardship? I have. You had any persecution this week? Been hungry this week? Hope you're not walking around naked this week. Have you felt like you were in danger? Paul had faced all of these except he, he didn't die by the sword. But we know from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he gives us a list. He talks about being thrown out of town, being beaten, being shipwrecked, being abused. He goes through this long list. And then at the end of this, he says, and on top of that, I have to put up with all you church people. He really does. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He doesn't say you're not going to have those things. But he says those things will not separate you from God's love. That's why in Ephesians 3, he prayed for us. And we should pray that we understand God's love. Look at verse 18 of Ephesians 3. That we may have the power praying together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. How deep the Father's love for us. And you feel like you're all alone. You remember, he never leaves you. He never forsakes you. He's not only for you. He is the God who is with us. 
No intimidation, no accusation, no separation. Now, why? Why can I hold on? I, this encouraging message. How do I know that's true? He tells us that. Remember, in, in Jesus, you're more than a conqueror. No one nor anything can take that away. So look at verse 37. Nope. In all these things, we're more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Just think about all those things. Things we will face. You will face death. If you're a follower of Jesus, you will face spiritual battles. You will struggle with your past. You'll, you'll plod through the present. You'll worry about your future. But none of these things need separate you from the love of God. In fact, he, he calls you something interesting. He calls you more than a conqueror. Now, what does that even mean? I'm a big college football fan, and here's what I've had to accept. In most cases, it doesn't matter how many points you win a game by. It only takes one, right? Now, if you're a Tennessee fan like my friend Buck Buchanan and the University of South Carolina just took you to the woodshed, it was a lot more than one, but it only takes one. It only takes one to win the game. Well, how does, how does that relate to, to what we're speaking to, what God wants to do? How do we become more than a conqueror? I try not to use the Greek language a lot because I, I, I don't ever want you to think you can't just open the scriptures and understand it. But this is an interesting word. It's, it's the word hupernikeo. And when you hear Hooper, I want you to think like hyper, like to the next level. Say whole nother level. So think whole nother level. And then when you hear Nikeo, I want you to think Nike, like some of your tennis shoes, Nike. And some of you remember that that word Nike, also used in the Latin, reminds us of victory. So he's saying you've got a whole nother level of victory that you have the opportunity to experience in Jesus Christ. So how do you experience that? You put your total trust in Jesus Christ. How do you live knowing that God is for you? You trust Jesus with everything. Now here's what I found out. God wants to be for you. He wants to provide for you. He wants to speak for you. He wants to stand for you. He'll never leave you, but there is a case where he'll resist you. You know what that is? There's this verse in the Bible. He will resist the, do you know it? The proud. Why would he resist the proud? Because if I'm prideful, I'm saying, God, I don't need you. I got this. And see, that's where some of you are. And the reason you need this encouragement is because you're going through life thinking you've got all the answers, thinking you can handle it, 
thinking you can pull yourself through or pull yourself up by the bootstraps. And yet God never intended you to live that way. He intends you to trust Him. And when you trust Him, He is for you. And when He is for you, you're more than a conqueror. And when you're more than a conqueror, remember what we've learned? There's no one nor anything that can keep you from Him. It just won't get you down. So how does this live out practically in our lives? Well, Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I I want you to live in victory. So let me give you three practical applications. Number one, our victory in Christ should give us passion. So don't look around. Don't make funny faces. Don't point at the person next to you. But I want you to ask, is my faith in Christ producing passion toward him and others? As a church, we say we want to follow the great commandment of Jesus, which is to love God passionately and love others intentionally. But this passion should flow out of me if I'm victorious. Now, so how does that look? That means I'm not a secret agent Christian That means the people at my workplace, the the people in my family, the people in my classroom, they know what I'm passionate about. Our little girl that (laughs) that I've been telling you about, when she meets people and she meets everybody, when she meets people, you know the first thing she asks them? I don't care if it's the person in the line at Publix or if it's somebody at her school or whatever. She'll say, do you know Jesus Now, we might have to coach her a little bit about when that's most appropriate and how do you ask those questions. But nobody's told her it's not okay to be passionate about Jesus. She realizes God changed her life. Jesus saved her. Are you passionate? Now, how does this look in worship? In worship, that means that when I'm singing about how great he is, my countenance shows that. I don't raise my hand because somebody else, I want someone else to see it. I do that as a natural reflex. God, you're so good. Or sometimes I just hold it out and say, oh, God, just fill me with your presence. And sometimes I'm crying and sometimes my face is full of joy because the passion comes through. Our victory in Christ should give us passion. Number two, our our victory in Christ should give us perspective. I regularly come in contact with folks. And this this may be you. You may have come in like this. This didn't happen today, but this may describe you. I'll come in contact with someone and say, how you doing? And I'll get this response. Well, I'm all right under the circumstances. And I get it. There's some stinky circumstances. I already mentioned, we've had a challenging week with circumstances. But here's what I often want to say when I hear that. What are you doing under the circumstances? Get out from under there. That's that's a dirty place. Get up above the circumstances. You're more than a conqueror. God is for you. If I believe that, that changes my perspective. I don't look at everything from down here. I look at everything from his point of view because he's the ultimate champion. He's made all things possible. Nothing is impossible with him. So when I get depressed, when I get discouraged, when I feel defeated, man, I just say, God, this isn't coming from you because I'm I'm victorious because of you. 
I'm more than a conqueror because of you. You're the God of everything and you are for me. So I forsake all of those feelings in the name of Jesus. Our victory in Christ should give us passion. Our, our victory in Christ should give us perspective. But our victory in Christ should also give us purpose. Th this speaks of your mission. I I'm just telling you, if you're a follower of Christ, it should affect everything in your life. I don't know how I, I, I'm a follower of Christ and it doesn't affect the way I talk to others. My language, my tone. I don't know how I'm a follower of Christ and it doesn't make me want to come and worship with other saints in church. I don't know how I'm a follower of Christ and it doesn't affect how I spend my resources. Because I can't read the Bible without it regularly telling me that I need to be sacrificial and generous with what he's given me, what he's put on loan to me. I can't be a follower of Christ and think that I don't have to care about whether or not my neighbors are going to heaven or hell. No, if, if I am living in victory, then my purpose for being here has changed. And my mission has changed. And I want to make this real practical. Because we're now entering into a season where a lot of us are going to be around family and friends. And a lot of us have family and friends that don't know Jesus the way we know Jesus. What are you going to do about that? Are you being intentional? Are you, are you looking for opportunities to, to share the faith that you have, the gospel conver conversations? Are you inviting others to worship, to be a part of the Lord's church? Oh, live on purpose. Stay on mission. Live in victory. Don't you have a lot to be grateful for? Aren't you thankful for these gifts that God gives us? Man, he's so good to us. What an encouraging passage of scripture. As I was studying this, I came across this writing from John Bunyan. John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress. And I took this and I kind of readjusted this into a, a responsive reading. And we don't do a lot of those, so let me tell you how this works. I'm going to say a phrase, and then there's going to be the word congregation that you see. And I want you to say that phrase. It's really simple. But I think this will cement for us these truths we've just learned. Let me start us. But I am a great sinner, say you. But I am an old sinner, say you. But I am a hard-hearted sinner, say you. But I am a backsliding sinner, say you. I have served Satan all my days, say you. But I have sinned against light, say you. But I have sinned against mercy, say you. But I have no good thing to bring with me, say you. Would you tell the Lord Jesus thank you right now? Would you just tell him thank you? Bow your head with me. Oh, if you're a follower of Jesus, we have so much to be thankful for. He will never cast us out. He is for us. 
He is with us. Be encouraged, church. Oh, be encouraged, brother and sister in the faith. Some of you who are followers of Jesus in this moment, you just need to take a minute and, and really look back to Jesus. Maybe you just need to acknowledge, hey, I've been taking things into my own hands, and that's, that's kind of silly. You need to readjust that perspective. Maybe you've not been living on purpose, and you would just say, God, I, I, I need to live on purpose. Maybe you've not been very passionate about the things that he's passionate about. And you would just say, oh, God, restore my passion. He'll do it. This is you and him. Just spend that time with him. That's the great thing about our faith. You don't have to have a pastor or a priest to go to God. You go straight to him just as you are. But somebody's here today and you've never begun a relationship with the Lord Jesus. You've never surrendered control of your life. So let me remind you of the facts. You, like me, were born a sinner, separated from God because of your sin. Left undealt with, that sin has to be punished. And the Bible says the only punishment available is death. So left undealt with, you will die for your sin. And the Bible even describes where that takes place. It's in a place called hell. But God doesn't want that. In fact, God demonstrates his love in that even though and while we're still sinners, Christ dies for us. You hear that? He died for you. You don't have to die. He died for you. And he wants to be for you. But there has to be a moment in time. Jesus said there has to be a moment in time where you're born into his family by trusting in him. So what do you do? You acknowledge that you need him. You're a sinner. You believe that he died for your sin. You receive his forgiveness. And then you yield control of your life to him. If you've never taken that step, I want to invite you to do that right now. Again, you don't need a pastor, but maybe you would use these words and just pray this to God as a model. So if that's you, just you and him right here, say, Dear Jesus, I know I need you. I'm a sinner. I need to be forgiven. I believe you died for me. And I know you're alive today. So I receive your forgiveness. I'm ready to surrender control of my life. I'm ready to surrender control of my life. I intend to follow you for the rest of my days. Tell him this. Say, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I'm not going to come to you and embarrass you, but I would like to welcome you to God's family. That's what this moment is about. If you just prayed that prayer with me, maybe you've been to church, maybe you've understood it for the first time today, or maybe this is the first time you've heard what we call the gospel, the good news, but you prayed that prayer to begin that relationship with Christ just now. If you've done that, would you just slip your hand wherever you're seated so that I can just welcome you to God's family? Just slip your hand up in the air 
wherever you are. Welcome to God's family. That's the most important thing you could ever do. Welcome to God's family. Others of you, welcome to God's family. Near the back, welcome to God's family. Father, I pray that in these next few minutes as we celebrate new life by some in this room, that you would give us the privilege of remembering all of us what you've done for us, Jesus, and what that means. And I ask this in Jesus' name.